All right, check it. Three 
18 all the way through chapter 4, okay. verse 5.
for these who were gathered. Bless them for having been here. Please continue to be with us in Jesus' name.
particularly your favorite, but I think goes with our um, message that we've been having. It's Faith of Our Fathers, 
Isaac was old, and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see. He called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he said. I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. <clears throat> now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. She prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. And Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. And she handed her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread that she had made. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. And Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac and touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He 
did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate. And he brought some wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew, and of earth's riches, and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you, and peoples bow down before you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. Father in heaven, we ask that you bless this, this reading of your holy and inspired scripture, and that it be for our good and to your glory.
our text this morning is Genesis 27, good part of the chapter, verse 29 verses. Our last lesson took a careful look at Isaac's troubles in Gerar, the land of the Philistines. He had become such a successful farmer and rancher that the Philistines were envious of his wealth. They were fearful of his power. And so they took two actions. Number one, they plugged the wells with dirt that his father Abraham had dug. And later, even the wells his servants dug. This was an obvious attempt to force him to move on. You don't have water to feed your livestock and so forth. What are you going to do? They're going to die, so are you if you don't get water. Their king, Abimelech Jr., I'm calling him, ordered him, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. Chapter 26, verse 16. So Isaac complied because he was a peacemaker, not because he was a coward. Bimelech, however, sought him out in Beersheba, saying, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So he moves away, but the Lord blesses him, and the king sees that, sees what's going on. So he goes out, and he proposes a treaty of peace between the two of them, which they did sign. We drew out some scriptural principles then. For our lesson. Number one, the acquisition of wealth is a gift of God. You should keep that in mind. Mental acuity in business, opportunity in business, health, peace, these are all gifts of God. I think of our president, Donald, Mr. Donald. <laughs> he takes a lot of flack being wealthy. He doesn't need the presidency. In fact, he doesn't take any salary from the government for the presidency, which I think is about $250,000 a year. But he uses his skills of how he built his empire to run the government. So the acquisition of wealth is a gift Secondly, being wealthy brings with it a whole set of unusual problems. Number one, you become the target of thieves. Whether they're going to come crashing through your door with guns blazing, or if they're going to embezzle funds secretly out of your account, or whatever it means they try. You can lose that whole fortune, even though you have. Then you have to fight the sins of arrogance and self-sufficiency. I don't need God. I got money. So there are dangers to being wealthy. Can even envy the wicked and their quest to bring you down. God brings limits to that. By the way, we learn that people of the world can see when God blesses you. They will sometimes repent of their poor conduct and make amends. Abimelech did that. 
And that has to do with God's, what we call God's common grace. It's not saving grace, but it's called common grace, which means he blesses the people of the world right where they're at. They're not necessarily saved, but he gives them blessings nonetheless. He's good, Jesus says, God is good to the wicked as well as the righteous. I don't know if you knew that, but Jesus is very clear about that. Now today's text reveals Jacob for the deceiver and thief that he became as he plotted with his mother to defraud his brother Esau of his father's blessing. Oh boy, is he a deceiver and a thief. And that's what we want to talk about today. Coming to the scriptures, let us ask for the Lord's name. Heavenly Father, send your word into our hearts, the sword that it is, to convict us. Let us not sit here in some high-minded uh, thought while we're not like Esau. We're probably more like Esau than we think. And we need your grace. You need to come into our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. Show us what Jesus would have us be and rid us of the conniving that we do, the lying that we do, the misrepresentations, the anger that we have. On and on we could list the sins, and they are pitiful in light of your grace and your mercy. How we owe you so much. Pray that you'll bless us today with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Teach us, Lord, to love you. In Christ's name. We're looking today at the deceiver and the thief. We're referring to uh, Jacob. First thing I want us to note is Esau's apostasy from the faith. Esau's apostasy. The brother. It's important to note that there is an inseparable connection between birthright and blessing, which we're dealing with in the scripture here. Birthright has to do with the oriental acknowledgement, acknowledgement of being the first born male who by law would inherit the estate. But you remember that Jacob purchased the birthright from Esau for a bargain price. What was the bargain price? Anybody remember? Red bean soup. <laughs> a ball of bean soup. So dirt cheap that God said of Esau, here's God's analysis of Esau, so Esau despised his birthright. I mean, think about it. Who sells an estate for a bowl of soup? He said, oh, I'm just famished. I need to eat right now. Give me some of that stew. To despise means to hold in contempt or to view as despicable, as worthless. Basically, he says, he says, I'm dying, I'm famished, so what is the estate going to do for me? I need to eat right now. And that's the way he rationalized in his mind. No one, we don't, no one believes that he was at the point of death. Also, Esau was not above doing things to show his contempt for the family or the faith into which he was born. 
if you were to look at uh, Luke chapter, or not Luke, but uh, Genesis 26, verse 34 and 35, it says, and I'm reading here, when Esau was 40 years old, that's, by the way, that's marrying age back then. So you mean they waited till they were 40? Yeah. That, that's generally when they married. When he was 40 years old, well, by the way, that was the same for Isaac. He got married when he was 40. Chapter 25, verse 20. Esau married Judith, daughter of Barry, the Hittite, also Bezmath, daughter of Elon, the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Hittites? Really? According to Genesis 10, Noah's son, Ham, was the father of Canaan, and Canaan became the father of the Hittites. And many otherites, I might add. In more congenial time, you remember that Abraham bought a burial plot from the Hittites so he could bury Sarah. But that was a business agreement in which Abraham actually paid for the acreage, indeed, needed to bury his dead. Canaan, Noah's grandson, was cursed by Noah for exposing Noah's nakedness instead of maintaining his modesty when he was drunk. You can read that in Genesis 9, 24, and 5. Which means that the Hittites, the children of Canaan, were part of a cursed nation. When God commissioned Moses to go to Egypt, lead the Israelites out of bondage gave certain promises. Exodus 23:23. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Verse 28. I will send the hornet ahead of them to drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and the Hittites out of your way. Exodus 34, verse 11. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. When the Israelites took possession of the land of Canaan, God instructed them, completely destroy them. And again, he lists the Hivites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 20, verse 17 and verse 18. Well, that's a good example of the bad companions will corrupt good morals. You're not going to influence them, all these ites. They're going to influence you. You're not going to get them saved. They're going to corrupt you. By the way, this was all part of Israel's later history. It was. But what it means for our study today is that Esau married two pagan women, both Hittites. Scripture said they became a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah.
What way? Well, we read on in Exodus 34, verse 14. states, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you, and you will eat their sacrifices. When you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, and they will lead your sons to do the same. Exodus 34, verse 14 and 16. So God's trying to protect his people from an intermarriage with those that will lead the sons or their daughters into idolatry. Now, this statement could mean literal physical prostitution, which was freely practiced by the pagan cults, remember Jezebel, but we also have this strong spiritual application from Hosea, chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. My people, says Hosea, God is speaking through Hosea, my people consult a wooden idol, and they are answered by a stick of wood, a spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. They sacrifice to the mountaintops, burn offerings on the hills, under oaks and poplar and terebinth, where the shade is pleasant. Therefore your daughters turn to prostitution, and your daughters of all to a hill. Hosea 4, verse 12 and 13. Now these texts are so strong because God considers the nations of Israel to be his bride. His bride. So when Israel worships graven images of wood and stone and what have you, it's the equivalent of being an unfaithful wife, of committing adultery against God, the husband. This is what I think Hebrews 12, 16 is referring to when the writer says, See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights. Now Esau did marry Judith in base map, Genesis 26, 34. So no, no physical immorality there. But these pagan women led Esau away from the worship of Jehovah the God of his father Isaac by introducing and seducing Esau to worship their pagan deities. That was the immorality. That was the godlessness that Esau was involved in. Secondly, Isaac, in utter disregard for God's declared will, he planned to bless Esau instead of Jacob. What's with this king? Isaac's old, verse 1. He's also blind, also verse 1. He's not sure when he will die, but he suspects that it may be sooner rather than later. So he commissions Esau to utilize his hunting skills to obtain the venison that he loved to eat. And when Esau presented the meal to Isaac, Isaac pledged himself, verse 4, 
to give you, Esau, my blessing before I die. Now, as noted earlier, birthright and blessing are inseparable. Though when Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, he tried to make a distinction between them. And he still makes that assumption now. We know this because he does not say to Isaac, Well, Father, I appreciate your willingness to bless me, but I sold the birthright to Jacob, so the blessing is his. He doesn't say that. Instead, he plans to outfox the box. He'll go on a hunt, slay a deer, prepare the venison that Isaac loves, gladly receive the blessing attached to the birthright, with no one being the wiser till it's all over. But even if Isaac, in his old age, and in his blindness, did not know that Esau had sold his birthright, he's not exonerated because of that. For at the conception of these twin boys, Rebekah, and Isaac by extension, was told the older will serve the younger. Chapter 25, verse 23. Which was God's way of saying, hey, it may be the oriental protocol for the firstborn to obtain the birthright and the blessing and the head of the estate, but I'm breaking with the protocol. Esau is relegated to the subordinate position of serving Jacob, and that's my decision. So what's Isaac doing then? The dad. Well, Isaac was going against what he knew to be God's will in this matter. He was determined that Esau, his favorite son, would become the new head of the clan and receive the lion's share of the estate. Paul words it this way in Romans 9, verse 11 and following. Before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand not by works but by him who calls, she, Rebecca, was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it's written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. And then Paul asks the hard question. Here it is. Paul asks, is God unjust? And he answers not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on man's desire and effort, which was Isaac trying to do that, you see, but on God's mercy. So we learn here that privilege in the household of God has nothing to do with who was born first. has nothing to do with who were your parents. It has nothing to do with what are your good works. None of these things, which people think gives them an in with God, none of that matters. All of us are condemned as sinners. We are already lawbreakers and criminals as we contemplate God. So we're dead men walking. Though we think we're A-OK -okay with God. 
than we are now. How then do we come into a peaceful and forgiven position before God? Well, it's going to require mercy. God will have to choose to be merciful to us. Mercy, by the way, is not obligatory. God may continue to hate us for the sinners we are, as in the case of Esau. Or he may choose to love us by showering us with undeserved mercy, as in the case of Jacob, who was also a sinner. God had disclosed his choice to Isaac and Rebekah, but Isaac planned to somehow get around God's revealed will by blessing Esau anyway. As the oldest, according to Oriental society, so think about this Esau God made it clear to Isaac no I don't want Esau to have the blessing I don't want him to become a head of the clan I want Jacob to become those things but Isaac thought I'm not going to do it I'm going to have it the way it's supposed to be. And he was going on mission. Esau needs to be the head of the clan. I mean, think of it. He's the hunter. He's the guy that goes out and gets the game. He's the one that could defend the clan against other clans that might try to take over. Oh, what is Jacob? He's a mama's boy. He stays home and cooks beans and vegetables and cuts the grass, takes care of the sheep. I want a man. A man to take the clan. And then there's Rebecca's counterpart. Verse 5 says, Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau, Isaac's intent was discovered, so Rebekah wasted no time calling for Jacob to concoct her own scheme to secure Jacob's inheritance and outwit both Esau and Isaac. Boy, this is some family, isn't it? Think about it. Well, you know the story. Jacob was instructed to bring two young goats from the flock which Rebekah could prepare with the seasonings and herbs that Isaac relished and with his blind eyes and light before taste buds uh, he wouldn't recognize the difference between venison and cabrito cabrito is goat meat we can trick this guy pretty easily so the plot was on. But there was another, verse 11. Jacob reminded his mother, Mr. Macho Man Esau, you know, Mom, he's a hairy man, but I'm smooth-skinned. So his fear was being discovered in, in the midst of the trickery, 
And instead of a blessing, Isaac would curse him for his deception. Verse 12. Well, Rebecca had an answer for that too. After re preparing the kid goats to eat, she used their skins and Esau's own wardrobe to dress Jacob with the scent of the open field and the hairiness of goatskin, verse 16, to present the illusion that Jacob was really Esau. Yeah, he's a hairy man, but he had this goatskin on him. Of course, remember now, the only way this works is Isaac is blind. He's, you've seen people that are blind. They, they, they look through their fingers. They touch a person's face. See if, if that's the person they know. Or if they're smiling or if they're frowning or whatever they do. Anyway, the illusion worked. Isaac expressed amazement that Esau, he doesn't know it's Jacob, that Esau had found the game so quickly, verse 20, which tells us that Jacob and Rebekah wasted no time orchestrating their deception. They got in, got out quickly before they could be discovered. And the physical evidence was too overpowering for Isaac to ignore. The meal tasted like venison. The clothes Jacob wore smelled like the great outdoors. Thus he saw the wardrobe. Jacob's hands and neck were hairy to the touch, as would be the case with Esau. I mean, who else could it be, right? So Isaac blessed Jacob, thinking he was Esau. Verse 27 and following. The essence of which was four outcomes. Here are the four outcomes. Number one, if you got that blessing, you were blessed with great prosperity in business pursuits, farming, livestock, and so on, verse 28. Secondly, you became the progenitor of many nations, verse 29, and most importantly, number three, the Lord, you, you will be Lord over your brothers. And finally, as the capstone of blessings, number four, may those who curse you be cursed, those who bless you be blessed. Rich blessings. And since they were pronounced in the name of God, verse 28, may God give you. They were prophetic promises that became binding and irrevocable. Wow, what a coup Rebecca and Jacob pulled on Moab. It was discovered. Look at verse 30. Jacob had scarcely left Isaac's presence when in comes Esau with his prepared meal. Thinking he would be the one to receive his father's blessing. When Esau identified himself to his blind father, we are told, verse 33, Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? 
I ate it just, just, just before you came in, and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. You see, Isaac knew in an instant on hearing Esau identify himself, he knew in an instant that he had been duped by Jacob. And he trembled violently, not because he had been tricked, but because he was now conscious of how close he had come in defiance of the will of God. He knew that the will of God was that Jacob should have the preeminent destiny. But he wasn't going to abide by that. He was just going to do his own thing. God could just take a hike. Isaac had plotted with Esau to bless him before he died. If he would be so good as to kill a deer and prepare for him the venison that he loved. Forget God's will. Forget the prophecy which hung over the birth of these twins. The older will serve the unhappy. He preferred Esau over Jacob, and that was just the way it was going to be. So lighten up. I mean, think about this. If he had to defy God's word, so be it. He was determined to have his way. No mama's boy was going to become the head of the clan. Uh-uh. In desperation, Esau cried out to Isaac, Bless me, me too, father. But Isaac had to confess, verse 35, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau's response is not quite accurate. Verse 36 says, Isn't he rightfully named Jacob? Jacob means deceiver. He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright and now he's taking my blessing. It's not accurate. And I say it's not accurate because Esau despised his birthright. And he sold his birthright willingly to Jacob for a bowl of soup. It was not taken from him through deception. <coughs> Blessing, yes. The birthright, no. But they're connected. Realizing his great loss, Esau wept loud and pleased, pleaded rather with Isaac, saying, do you, know, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Esau received a prophecy from Isaac. But reading it, I'm not sure he or we would consider it a blessing. Here's what it is. It's the direct opposite of what Isaac called down on Jacob. Look at verse 39. Your dwelling, and he's referring to Esau, your dwelling, Esau, will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword 
no peace for you, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your mouth. Well, this sounds to me more like a curse than a blessing. Jacob had succeeded in being blessed with the oil, the wine, the fat, the riches, the opulence of Isaac's estate. But when all was said and done, Esau's blessing consisted of the scraps that few, if any, would even want. His legacy would be to live by the sword and serve his brother. Verse 40. Talk about pouring gasoline on a fire. Esau, Mr. Macho Man, would be subservient to mama's boy. How devastating. How humiliating. Well, this was more than a man could bear. And Esau broke down and wept aloud. He was completely homeless. Now, what do we learn from Isaac's family? Well, we learn that marriage should show compatibility of mind and spirit and not just physical attraction. Esau, a descendant of Abraham, son of Isaac, had been born into a Jewish faith, tutored there, a faith which had been basic building blocks of solid truth. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Deuteronomy 6, verse 45. This being so, it is not surprising that the rule of worship would be stated in the language of the Decalogue, the ten words of Moses. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those that hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Exodus 20, verse 3 5. Though Exodus 20 had not been written by that time, Paul reminds us, indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. He's talking about they don't have a codified version. They show, rather, that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness. And their thoughts now accusing or defending them. Romans 2, verse 14. What I'm saying is that Esau had to know that his two Hittite wives were idolaters, but his affection for them revealed his own heart toward God. Paul wrote, A married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. 
A married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. A married a woman is concerned about how she can please her husband. And I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 13. Now, the cure for this is to marry in the faith. Marry a partner who is as spiritually attached to following Christ as Lord as you are. Then you and your spouse will be pulling in the same direction, young people, in obedience to God, and not at odds with each other over what is or is not true religion. Esau married women who were compatible with his own spiritual depravity. Which, when analyzing his religious convictions, God labeled him godless. I didn't say that. God said that. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, verse 16. Marriage ties two together of the same ideology. So any attempt to bypass or soften the reveal of God is sin for which there will be consequence. Isaac was old. He's feeble. He's blind. When all of this transpired. But it is his spiritual blindness that died in he knew that Esau had been rejected by God to serve as the head of the family. He knew that Jacob, though seconds younger than Esau, was God's preferred choice. But Isaac preferred Esau. As we have learned, Esau was a man of the field. He was a hunter, a bowman, a mountain man, mucho macho. That was Esau. kind of man whom Isaac concluded would best protect the land from outside hostility. He would be a strong advocate to prosperity. What would Jacob do? <laughs> I mean, if the land were attacked by a hostile tribe, what's Jacob going to do? Going to offer them pancakes and sausage? TV show in the late 50s called Father Knows But here, in centuries past, was Isaac acting as though he was Certainly better than God. How to leave the plane. It is only when he discovers how cleverly he had been deceived 
that he trembled violently, the scripture says. And he awoke to how wicked his presumption had been. Think of it. He had defied the direct will of God. It was deliberate, it was intentional, it was provocative, it was destructive to his family. But he didn't anyway. And by the way, Rebecca is seen as a co-conspirator. He saw his humiliated to tears and he begins to contemplate murder in his heart towards Jacob, verse 41. Jacob is more estranged from Isaac, his father. He's compelled to leave the homestead. And Rebecca never sees Jacob again. These are dire consequences for this event. Paul puts it this way, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, that's Isaac, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Galatians 6, verse 17. God often gives us indicators that something isn't quite right. And if we ignore them, we ignore them to our own. Are you amazed, amazed at all the red lights that God flashed before Isaac's mind as this deception by Jacob and Rebekah began to unfold? Jacob comes into the tent with the food prepared by Rebekah to deceive Isaac into blessing him. And Isaac asked, Well, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Verse 29. Now, I haven't hunted for years. But when I did, I know what it was like to be in the woods at times all day long without seeing so much as one deer. So how feasible was it that Esau, who's really Jacob, had left Isaac minutes before and was now back with a kill. Wow. That was fast. First red light. Something's wrong here. Next. Isaac bid Jacob come near so he could touch him. The scripture says, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not? What's that telling us? It's telling us that Isaac is, he's suspicious. He might be blind, but he's not stupid. He's figuring this out. He's trusting his instincts. Something isn't quite going right here. Next, verse 22. The voice is the voice of Jacob. 
but the hands are the hands of Esau. So he's still expressing doubt. He says, verse 24, are you really my son, Esau? These red lights are screaming, danger, beware, something isn't right here. Are you sure you know what you're doing? Maybe you should give this a little more thought. The devil comes to us and he says, eh, it'll be all right. You just need to push through. Everyone has doubts now and again. That's normal. God was using Isaac's conscience to put on the brakes regarding his intended course of action. The red lights were warning, but Isaac wasn't heeding. He was so determined to bless Esau that he dismissed the evidence of trickery, which was everywhere present. How many times have you done things flying in the face of warnings and cautions and impediments placed there by God to cause you to reconsider, but you stubbornly, bullheadedly went ahead and did your own thing anyway? I've done that. Suffered consequences for it. Paul tells us how to respond to conscience. <coughs> now this is our boast, says Paul. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relationship with you, in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 12. Now, Isaac didn't do this. And many times, neither do we. According to God's grace. Finally, we learn that true repentance for sin consists of more than crying and tears. It's clear from our text that Esau was heartbroken when he discovered that his father Isaac had blessed Jacob instead of him. I don't deny that. Verse 34 says, When Esau heard this, his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to him, his father, Bless me, me too, my father. And when Esau learned further that the lion's share of the estate had already been ceded to Jacob, he pleaded for some scraps. Just, just one blessing for himself. Verse 38. Then Esau wept aloud. We look at this and we conclude, oh, you know, Looks like Esau's really repentant of his wicked choices in life, selling his birthright for a bowl of soup because he despised it and considered it a eh, 
So little value. Chapter 25, verse 34. Renouncing the worship of the one true God, marrying pagan idolaters. Chapter 26, verse 34. Seems to us, I mean, it looks like he's genuinely sorrowful and that God would forgive him and restore him. And what is going on here? Fortunately for us, God who reads the heart gives us his evaluation in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 7. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Hebrews 12, verse 16 and 17. New King James says, He found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. That's God's way of saying that Esau shed a bucket full of tears but they were not tears of repentance for his poor and sinful conduct no one said they were tears of regret tears for his loss of the birthright his loss of the blessing his weeping was not for sorrow over the sin of rejecting God but for his inability to win the estate This warns us that we cannot always look at the externals and tie them to the internals of true remorse for sin. Some people are just sad that they got caught in sin. Or in Esau's case, that he failed to win the prize that he lost when he finally saw its value. There's the added truth that repentance like faith, repentance like faith, is the gift of God. You can't produce it at will. In the time of danger, in the time of distress, like all of salvation, we're dependent on God's mercy. And so we ought not to go through life indulging our sins and making excuses for it and then think in the eleventh hour we will repent and be forgiven. I've actually had people say that to me. And I witness to them about the gospel, about turning away from their sin. And they will say something like this. They know enough Bible concerning the judgment that's coming. So they will say something like this. Well, I plan to live my life the way I want to live it right here and now. And then, before I die, choose to repent. I can live like I want to live. But when I see things are getting bad, I'll repent and all will be well. What fools. 
Repentance by faith is the gift of God. I think you should pray for repentance as equally as you pray for saving faith. They both Neither of these essentials to salvation are resident virtues in our nature. You love yourself too much. I love myself too much. You trust your own ingenuity too much. That's pride, not repentance. God knows the difference between theatrics and genuine remorse. He saw someone quite a show. Boy, he was a boo hooing. Oh no, I lost my blessing. I lost my God is not impressed. God break your heart for sin and grant you love for him and his salvation and his son Jesus. Then when you see him, Esau wasn't sorrowful for his sin. He was sorrowful for his loss. Boy, that's a difference. Oh, no. My brother beat me out again. <coughs> Foiled again. And the scripture says, if you read the Old Testament, that they could manipulate and steer God the way they wanted things to go. Learn the hard way. No, it's better to obey God than to fight against Him. It's better to be submissive than to be defiant. Do I think she was lost? No, she's saved. Esau, lost. faith, saving faith. So when we say our prayers and we don't know God yet, we need to pray, God, grant me repentance because I love my sin. Grant me faith because I really don't believe you the way I should. Do a work in me that I don't want done or can't do for myself. Need to pray honestly about where we are in reference to God. 
lessons to us. Don't be like me in this area. <clears throat> Don't copy my sin. Trust God. God will not be mocked. I read that earlier. You don't win when you've got your dukes up and you're fighting God. He wins. We win when we're submissive to God. And His grace flows in. And grants us the things that we can't get in ourselves. Our Lord, we just pray that you would bless you. the truth of your word to us today. Help us. Thank you for our building today. We were able to meet in the basement even though it was different. Help us to get our furnace fixed, but we're thankful. This room has its own furnace. We're thankful for that. You watched over us. I pray you'll bless us today with your grace and your grace. Thank you for these lessons from these Old Testament people. Help us not to be like Esau, defiant, godless, immoral, unrepentant, fist in the face of God, that kind of person. We all know people like that, but we don't want to be people like that. Make us submissive, pliable, submissive to the will of God, to the salvation that's found in Jesus. I mean, why did Jesus come if we're so wonderful? Why did he die if we're so wonderful? He came to pay our indebtedness to the law. We're lawbreakers. And we need a Savior. We pray that in Jesus' holy name. Closing in number two thirty worship and service.
says it is the Lord who heals. So we take our medicines and we do what we know to do, but in the final analysis, you know, it's your will to heal or not. And then it's your will. This disease is so devastating. We ask for your intervention. And we praise you for what we do. We thank you. Be with us this week. Help us to live for you. To uh, weather through the weather. The cold is really debilitating at times. I you will bring us out on midweek to pray together and to meditate upon the truth of your word. Help us, Lord, to live through you. And be with those that come be with us today. There may be others. I pray you for what you do for us. Help us get our furnace. It's really your friends. You're in control of all of these things. But we're just thankful that we could leave the basement today and still be warm.
Well, you got it set for 68, you want 68? Right. Yeah, yeah, it gets there. Okay. Um, we don't use it too often. Right, right. When we do, it might be an idea just to flip the, the, swamp, the, the, the fan to on instead of auto, just to keep the air circulating and it'll maintain a better, okay. a better temperature. Okay. Cool. Just an idea. No, we're, we should listen. I usually tell them that.